From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host, OCFA's Assistant Chief of Organizational Planning, Mike Schrader. All right, welcome back to OCFA's Pass Along Podcast. This week, we're going to be wrapping up our interview with former OCFA captain and current ECC dispatcher, Greg Hosberg. If you're out doing an inspection someplace, it is very, very helpful to update that emergency contact info on the inspection sheet because that gets updated into the computer program, the, the database that holds all the... So if we have, if you go to someplace and there's a ringing alarm and it didn't come through an alarm company and you ask us to try to find a responsible party, that's where we're going. We're going into the inspection program to see if we have any information for that. Uh, so if you don't update that or there's, you know, there, the, it's not an inspection, it's one of the low frequency, low consequence ones, and there's no inspection record, we don't have any information. All right, so that's coming up soon, but until then, let's uh, talk our usual news and noteworthy items. Uh, I'm sure most of you saw the email that went out last night from Chief Young referenced the change in air operations procedures. Please make sure to read that email very carefully and direct any questions that you have to your captain or battalion chief. Uh, once again, a, a very difficult situation. We appreciate everyone's professionalism during these incidents and just continue to be patient um, and, and, and put the interests of the patient ahead of any kind of um, concerns or questions that you have. Um, these folks expect uh, the best from us. They get the best from us and we can continue to stand behind that. So just, uh, I wanna say thank you for all the patience again and, and just continue to be the outstanding professionals that you've been thus far and handling those kind of calls on the remote side and even fireside as well. All right, let's move on to, uh, speaking of fireside, let's talk about Canyon Fire. Um, we've got three uh, review processes that are going forward. We've got the traditional after action report, that's our internal uh, after action that we do following all of our large incidents. Uh, that is moving forward. Uh, Chief Stefan and uh, Chief Adams are assisting in moving that forward. And then we have the independent review panel, the IRP. That is uh, Fire Chief McIntosh um, stipulated that we were going to do our own internal review, but a, a slightly different version than the AAR and that they'll be looking just specifically at some, some issues that circulated regarding some media reports and other allegations that came forward. So the IRP is going to be looking at that. The AAR folks are going to be looking internally as we do for all of our large incidents. And then, of course, we have uh, the County of Orange, uh, had uh, put together their own review uh, process, and so that is going uh, on as well under the direction of Steve Danley uh, from the county. So all those are moving forward, obviously, as we, those start to trickle out in regards to uh, conclusions, recommendations, and findings, and what have you. We'll share those when we have them. All right, well, it's been uh, just over a year now since we've lost Fire Station 61 to a fire. Uh, that definitely was a crazy morning. I'll never forget standing out there uh, in the rain, um, and looking at a picture of, uh, or in vivo, I took a picture of uh, Chief Zimmerman's uh, flip-flops in the pouring rain as he and the rest of the crew scampered out uh, that morning uh, when their fire station was on fire and then heroically did their best to um, limit the damage. So uh, what, a, uh, what a crazy morning in Buena Park. Uh, what an outpouring of support from the community, the city, all the other agencies. As most of you know, we, we had to temporarily split up the truck and the engine, the BC and the DC, and even the admin staff from Community Risk Reduction as well. And uh, we moved everybody out in different parts, um, or part of them out rather, and then eventually we were able to bring back most of them to uh, Walter Knott to the temporary site 
um, at the shuttered Walter Knott Elementary School just down the street from the old station. So the official demolition of the station has begun and uh, new work on the station is well on its way. In fact, I think we're um, probably in June at some point we'll, we'll be moving into the new station, but it's well on its way. I wanted to get back to the Fire Station 61 fire in, in regards to the uh, final report on the uh, possible cause. And I want to just read verbatim of what they put in the report. This is Anaheim Fire Rescue. By the way, we need to give them a, a great shout out for putting, uh, just going above and beyond to work with our staff. And, you know, because you can't investigate your own fire, right? That wouldn't be right. So we had, to, we had to be at arm's distance in a support role and allow them to take the lead. They did outstanding. And so I just want to read their conclusion. It, it, it's, not as, uh, it's not the great detailed info that we wanted, unfortunately, but here's what we have. The investigative team was unable to determine the circumstances bringing ignition and fuel together. The cause of the fire is undetermined. And that's following uh, uh, an evaluation of the fire scene, physical evidence, firefighter statements, witness statements, and the knowledge of the fire development. The fire originated in the apparatus bay at the front portion of the tractor trailer of the American LaFrance truck. Um, so unfortunately, the cause is undetermined. Uh, and that's pretty standard. As a former fire investor, when you have multiple competing ignition sources, it's very hard to determine, especially with that level and degree of destruction, as to which one actually caused the fire, brought the fuel um, and the heat source together. So again, just wanted to share that with you. I uh, wish we had more, um, but there you have it. All right, we'll keep you updated as we move forward to the grand opening of the new fire station, so, so stay tuned for that. All right, let's move on to the Captain's Assessment Center. It is over. Um, special shout out to... Um, uh, Battalion Chief Mike Summers, who led um, the whole Captain's Assessment Center three different times because of several incidents and internal issues that we had to put this thing on, and we finally got through with it. And uh, Chief Summers did just such an outs outstanding job of coordinating and collaborating with all the different partners and role players and graders and uh, facility issues. I mean, just above and beyond. So thank you, Mike, for, for all that you did. Also, we want to congratulate uh, the 12 guys who passed. Uh, please check that uh, memo that, uh, again, Chief Young put out, uh, I think this morning, uh, with more info on that. Lastly, before I move on, I wanted to just also th say thanks to all the professional staff um, and role players that really make this process realistic for the candidates and generate, well, just a list of 12, generates a great list of, of, of folks who are ready to assume that role, um, a critical role, really, as a fire captain. So. Um, for those who weren't successful in this process, uh, that's the bad news. The good news is we're going to be doing it again shortly. So um, if I was a betting man, I'd say somewhere between uh, 6 and 12 months. Uh, we'll, we'll do an after action in regards to our process, what we can do differently, the lessons that we can learn, which is customary. We have our joint labor management group. We'll meet with the, uh, the local and uh, see how we can improve the process and also work to um, shore up those areas for those that weren't successful and move folks forward. In the meantime, um, those that are moving on to the Captain's Academy, that will start on February 2nd, and uh, we just want to wish you good luck there. All right, you probably saw I put out another update on Garden Grove. Uh, basically, the long and short of it is that we've completed all the information gathering from all the different nooks and crannies within Garden Grove, asked uh, our subject matter experts in, our, in all of our sections to analyze that, and then uh, we're looking to complete the analysis by the end of this month. And then uh, hopefully we'll have our fire service proposal by February and uh, present it to our board uh, at our March 22nd meeting. All right, don't forget to buy your uh, Best and Bravest tickets. I know I've harped on this quite a bit, um, but uh, it's just a great night to celebrate our, uh, those that are, are really our Best and Bravest, right, as the uh, title infers. Uh, just a reminder, it is a venue change. Um, 
from uh, being up in Irvine at the Marriott. We're going to be down in Laguna Hills at the Pacific Hills Bistro, which uh, sounds like a small diner, but when you go online and you look at it, it's just a really neat uh, banquet facility. And the name doesn't do it justice. So uh, go online, take a peek at it, uh, and then most importantly, sign up uh, to come attend and celebrate along with us our best and bravest. Tickets are 55 bucks, and it's going to be on Friday, uh, February 23rd. And um, yeah, I think I've, I've mentioned that quite a few times, so I'll leave it at that. On Tuesday, January 9th, OCFA uh, had uh, another deployment of assets of our Urban Search and Rescue Task Force. In this instance, uh, the Santa Barbara County Fire Department called us to assist in their search and rescue off, uh, efforts after the devastating mudslides really came through uh, in the Montecito area. Uh, subsequent to the Thomas fire. So we were able to quickly respond with our Urban Search and Rescue Task Force 10 and put out uh, or deployed rather the, the 30 firefighters with, uh, in addition with members of Anaheim and Orange City. Uh, and they took uh, Heavy Rescue 6, uh, I think they took an engine, canines, uh, two hazmat specialists, paramedics, and then all the various rescue, uh, search and rescue equipment and specialists. So uh, they were assigned to one of the hardest hit areas in Montecito, worked 12 hour shifts, and it was just another, it was an unprecedented really deployment for all 12 of the state's regional task force were deployed and um, were eventually released on, um, on Sunday, the 14th, after making uh, just a lot of positive impacts and performing the primary and secondary searches, looking for known missing persons, uh, just heroic efforts there. Um, our dozer crew actually went up as well a little bit after the RTF uh, responder, the regional task force went up there and they're still deployed. And uh, they're working, they're transitioning right now from rescue to recovery. Um, all in all, I just, I want to say how proud we are of the men and women uh, who worked on this incident. Uh, we heard nothing but accolades from a variety of sources um, for a job well done. And um, again, uh, our, uh, our hearts and our prayers go out to the people of Montecito, those that are impacted by the Thomas fire and the subsequent flooding. Um, we can't necessarily change that, but what we can do is give them our best. And we did just that when they called, um, pursuant to the amazing network of, uh, resources and agreements within the state of California, the Western United States, we responded to, uh, our fellow uh, Californians needs, and uh, we could not be prouder of the men and women who, who went up there. So thank you so much. All right, that's it for news and, uh, news and noteworthy items. Uh, time to hear back from Greg Hosberg uh, and what he's learned on working kind of the other side of the radio from being a captain now to a dispatcher. So here's Pete Condi with the interview of his former fire captain, Greg Hosberg. So I've spent a little bit of time at station 28 and we get a lot of fire alarms mm -hmm. in that area as yes, I'm sure you do. know. Um, what what are what's some information or some guidance you can give from a dispatch standpoint when when we're talking about resetting alarms or putting the system on test? I mean, what 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 are some of the services or things that ECC can can help us with and offer? And, and what what are some things that we shouldn't ask you to do that we need to be doing on our own type of thing? Sure, sure. Um, you know, when we get a call from an alarm company, there's a, a list of questions we go through. One of them that we always ask is if the system is reset. Because by policy, if the system is reset, we won't respond. So we don't send any units if they tell us it has reset. Um, if it has not reset, then we go through the rest of the process and we'll, um, we'll dispatch the call. From that point, we don't know anything about the alarm. We're, we've disconnected for the alarm company. We don't monitor alarms in ECC any longer other than in the stations. Uh, so we don't have any other information. So if you need, 
you know, if you want to know if the alarm is reset, then we have to call the alarm company back. Um, typically, they may or may not know if it's reset. Um, that process can take some time because you have to navigate through the phone tree or they'll place you on hold, say, hey, please wait for an alarm agent. Some of them have some very interesting hold music, by the way. Uh, but, um, so if you need something, try to get all of that consolidated into one, one request. You know, if you want to know if it's reset or if you want to have an RP come out or something along those lines, then, then let us know because it's very difficult and time-consuming for us to call the alarm company back two or three times and try to get information. Um, much like in RECC, if you call the business line three times consecutively, you'll probably get three different dispatchers because of just who's busy, who's not. Same thing with the alarm companies. We don't always get the same dispatcher that gives us, gave us the call originally. Um, so try to get everything that, that you want to know consolidated. Uh, we have no ability to place the system on test. That is re uh, the responsibility of the facility, and somebody at the facility needs to call the alarm company and have that done. We cannot say our fire unit is on scene and wants the system placed on test. We can't do that. Uh, fire authority is not willing to take the responsibility for that. Alarm company is not willing to take the responsibility for that. I'm not willing to take the responsibility for that. So the facility needs to call and place it on test with the alarm company and clear it. So those are some of the, the big ones. Okay, very good. Thanks. And uh, along that lines, if you're out doing an inspection someplace, it is very, very helpful to update that emergency contact info on the inspection sheet because that gets updated into the computer program, the, the database that holds all the... So if we have, if you go to some place and there's a ringing alarm and it didn't come through an alarm company and you ask us to try to find a responsible party, that's where we're going. We're going into the inspection program to see if we have any information for that. Uh, so if you don't update that or there's, you know, there, the, it's not an inspection, it's one of the low frequency, low consequence ones, and there's no inspection record, we don't have any information. Okay. Oh, that's good to know, especially with the inspection season upon us. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, you, you hear a lot of different versions and a lot of radio traffic on this next question. It has to do with when you're, when you're dispatched or just starting to respond to a call and you're thinking, well, this, this isn't our first due area. Um, is another unit closer? You take a quick look. No, they're in quarters. Um, how should that communication go between the responding unit and, and ECC? What's a reasonable request? Because you hear the full spectrum of how different people ask for it. Sometimes they'll just tell you and say dispatch this unit. Sometimes people will ask. What's the what's the best way? What's the best approach for that situation? Uh, okay, so the best approach, run the call. Just keep going. If you think another unit's closer, want us to put them on it, we'll be happy to do that. Keep in mind if they're in quarters, there's a reflex time. Okay, so if you're already on the road ahead of them, you may actually still make it to the call before they do. So just stay on the call, coordinate with them. Um, if, you, if you have an issue with an ETA or a recommendation or a location, again, just run the call. Give us a call later. We don't want to get into a, a, a discussion on the radio about, well, this unit should have been recommended. Why weren't they? Sometimes we don't know. Okay, when the call comes up for the primary dispatcher 
and you recommend, it gives us the closest unit that meets whatever criteria it is for the call. For medical aid, it looks for some sort of EMS response, including a medic, typically. It only shows us the closest medic unit. So if, for example, there's a call in, in Buena Park, and 61s is AIQ, 62s is AOR, and 62s is one second closer, even though the call might be in what used to be considered 61's first due, even though with TriTech and the location base, we've kind of gone away from that, it will recommend engine 62. We won't even see engine 61. It doesn't give us the list of units to pick from of here's the ETAs. It just gives us the closest unit. So understand that. So if you think somebody's closer or something, we're happy to put them on it and you guys can coordinate. The one thing we ask is if you're doing that and you know or if you're on a call and another unit comes up and says, hey, we're available, place us on the call in place of that unit, uh, especially if it's a single unit response, don't go AOR until you see the other unit is on the call. Because as soon as you go AOR, the call disappears off our screen. And now we've got to go back and find it, reopen it, and put another unit on. So give us a few seconds to get the other unit on the call. When you see them on the call, then you, then you can go AOR. Uh, we're always happy to do the research, find out what happened, why. Th there are some things that still occur. Some um, you know, Units get changed around. You switch into a, a different unit, and maybe uh, during the Canyon 2 is a, a good example. Engine 18 was staffed up and was a medic unit. So it went into the system, and, and we actually had to have it changed and all its capabilities changed for it to be a medic unit and recognized or recommended as a medic unit. Canyon 2 fire was over, that uh, capability was still attached to engine 18. Uh, it's not something we can typically change, we have to have somebody do it, so it took a little while. So engine 18 was getting recommended as a medic unit. We can put other units on it, but just understand that sometimes that's what happens, and that's why a particular unit got recommended and another one didn't, because the capabilities were off, because uh, you know, you're in a reserve patrol as a career patrol now, or you're, uh, the, the nuances of the, the back end of things and the behind the scene things of capabilities and, and resource types is, is amazing. So it will happen again, repeatedly. If you have a question, we're happy to do the research, find out what happened, get it corrected. The important thing is we need to get somebody to the call and get the call handled. So take care of the call, give us a call afterwards, talk to the supervisor, and we can sort it out and get it squared away. Happy okay. to do that. We best course of action is then when the call's over, phone phone call to the supervisor, talk with them about it, then they can do the back end yes. research. Okay. Very good. Um, what about we've all been there, structure fire pops, <laughs> you're at the hospital, you're two minutes from going available, you hear it come in, hey, that's one district away. So you jump on the radio. What's the best radio traffic to communicate that you want to be added to that call? Because again, you hear people saying, cancel so-and-so, put us on it. Some, some people just say, add us to that call. What's, what's the best thing to do? Best thing to do is just ask to be added to the call. Okay. <clears throat> and then if there's a unit for you to coordinate with, we'll let you know or advise the two units to coordinate with one another. If there's a unit to be canceled, let us 
figured out because we know who's on the call and, and where they were in, in the order. Um, but also be cognizant of how many units are already on the call. If it's a structure fire and all it is is a reported structure fire, you know, arcing outlet in the house or a kitchen fire or something, and there's already a working structure assignment worth of in- units on the call, <laughs> and you're, you know, two or three districts away, and somebody else is, and you can see that somebody's either on scene or you can hear the radio traffic. Honestly, don't ask to be added to the call. We've already, there are times when we dump an entire battalion because everybody wants to be added to the call, and then we have nobody available to run the other calls, and we have to sort through to try to figure out. So be aware of who's on the call. You know, if there's already three or four engines and a, a couple of trucks, and you're going to be the third truck or the sixth engine, don't ask to be added to the call unless you are right on top of it, literally right on top of it. Because it just, it's a risk to have that many units rolling code three. It creates coverage issues. Uh, it's a laundry list of things. And, and we don't really have the, um, the power, the authority, if you will, to say, all right, you know, engine 32, you're like fifth in line, you can cancel. That's a BC call, but the BCs can also be aware of that too. And, so, and if there's if they hear units being added and that you know they know that they're on the other end of town, they can say you know I got enough units, I don't need any more. Uh, yeah. So just ask to be added to the call, and if you're realistically, with, I I know I get it. Everybody wants to go to a fire. It's the exciting thing of what we do. You want to be involved. Certainly understand that, but realize that. That's not all we're doing. There's other calls that are coverage issues, too, that need to be dealt with. If we hear the call come in and we're really not sure where it's at, we think we're close to it, can we ask? Can, can, how, how should that radio traffic you be? You can always ask to be added onto it so it pops up on your screen and you can get routing and figure out where you are. Yeah, and then coordinate with, you know, look at who else is on the call and coordinate with who else is on the call or ask us who should I coordinate with, and we'll tell you. Okay, well, this was the, because we can, we can zoom out. We're not looking at the map constantly on every single call. Uh, The call taker, when you take a call, it pops up and it zooms to that. But as soon as you go to the next call, it zooms to that call. Structure fire, typically the dispatcher handling that has got that up on the map and we can see where the units are on the map and we can see, and we can, take reasonable guesses at who's going to be close. Um, but some of the other ones, you know, typically medical aids, TCs, that sort of stuff, we don't always have that map view going, uh, especially in the tactical dispatcher spot because I actually have to select the call and map it, and it can take four or five seconds for the map to actually refresh. Um, all right, lastly, any words of wisdom or advice? <laughs> Uh, there's a, a, a whole number of things that uh, you know, I could share with you as uh, um, you know, my perspective now being on the other side of the radio and on the other side of the phones. Um, my biggest encouragement would be we are always open to having somebody come sit along and dispatch. Um, please take advantage of it. Please come up, even if it's only for a couple hours. Please come and sit with somebody, 
listen to the struggles we go through on the phone with people who don't know where they are. They don't know their phone number. All they can tell us is, I'm at a 7-Eleven on McFadden in Santa Ana. Okay, great. We've narrowed it down to six. Can we get a little more specific? Uh, you know, the cell phone location is helpful, but it doesn't always hit exactly where they are, depending upon which version of cell phone they have, etc. Sometimes we'll get a very good um, resolution and confidence. You know, we'll get 10 meters with 90% accuracy. Great, we can get you close. Uh, but sometimes we'll get 90% accuracy within 1,547 meters. So that's almost a mile. That's the, the ability. So come listen to that and, and understand that and realize that we're getting as much information as we possibly can from the caller. We're placing it in the call notes. We don't hold back information. We don't sit on information. It may take a minute for it to get in there because the dispatcher is still on the phone. Uh, you know, the way the the process works, we have 60 seconds to get a call out from the time we pick up either 911 or emergency line. So we have to confirm the address, get a phone number, and figure out the type of the emergency it is within that 60 seconds. Uh, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not. Okay. So we go through that process and then we gather additional information. That call's already been sent to primary, you've already been dispatched and on the road. We're still gathering information. So. Give us a few minutes, but look at those call notes. We put as much as we possibly can in the information that we get in those call notes. A lot of radio traffic asking us questions that are answered in the call notes. So it's helpful for both of us to reduce the radio traffic if you can read those. And if you have a question, call us back. Are um, the majority of calls through cell phones these days? Yes. As opposed to landlines? Yes. Our, yeah. uh, our statistics are running somewhere in the like mid to upper 60% of all our calls come from wireless cell phones. And does that extend the process and complicate it, it at all? It can, very much so. Yeah, if, they, if the caller can't give you a specific address and know right where they are, which a lot of times is the case, and there are some jurisdictions that the, um, the population isn't as familiar with where they are or they don't have a permanent address, and they're living in a tent city, and they're trying to tell you, you know, I'm the fourth blue tent. In, okay, well, there's 70 blue tents in there, and how are we going to find you? So it can be very difficult and challenging sometimes. But, yeah, 63 to 68%, I think, was the, like the last few months I've looked at, uh, are wireless phone calls. So, If we want to do a ride-along or a sit-along, mm -hmm. should we call, Con call contact schedule the, first? Yep, to, contact yeah, the on-duty supervisor. Uh, 573-6522-714, uh, and they can schedule it. We're, we kind of slowed down on it a little bit because we had the trainees, but now that we've moved the trainees up, we have six trainees progressing through. Um, one of them just got signed off on everything, so he's all set, and we have a few others in the process that are getting close to that. Um, so now we can open it up a little more and, and have some more, be a little more accommodating, but absolutely, we can accommodate coming up. Just call the on-duty supervisor, Asked to do a sit-along, we'll hook you up with a headset you can plug in and listen to the people on the other end of the phone, listen to the questions we go through and um, some of the struggles we deal with trying to find locations. Some places it's easy, um, others not so much. But um, yeah, please take advantage of that. Hopefully, we're again, we have the trainees and getting them done, so we're getting some of our staffing issues resolved. Um, so I, 
I believe the plan is to start getting some of the, the dispatchers out to do some ride-alongs and some of the trainees have done some ride-alongs. So if the, you know, one of the dispatchers is out with you in the station, feel free to pick their brain. Ask them the questions, you know, everything you want to know, and, and we're afraid to ask about what goes on in ECC. Just ask away. We'll, we're happy to share the information and, and let you know as much as we have. Tell you stories about interesting calls and struggles we've had trying to get you know, information from people and getting yelled at by people. That's good to know. Yeah, thanks. We had the the Thomas fire and a lot of fires this year, a lot of big fires, a lot of resource requests, a lot of things going on. Um, a couple of things with that. If you get a name request, you get notified from somebody that's on the incident or your incident management team, hey, we're going to send a name request. Absolutely, please give the ECC supervisor a heads up. Let them know, hey, I'm anticipating a name request. But then leave it at that. Okay. Name request comes in. We understand that. Ross will be open. We'll be waiting for the name request. We're not going to sit on it for two or three hours and not call you once the name request. As soon as it pops up, we will notify you. So it doesn't, doesn't help to keep calling back every 15 or 20 minutes asking if it's come in. We'll, we're happy to get you out as soon as we know it's going on. Uh, for the larger piece of the, the overhead requests, the strike team requests, um, you know, you may be watching wildlandfire.com or whatever. You may have a friend on the incident that you're talking to and, oh, yeah, they're, you know, we need 10 type 3 strike teams and we're asking for crews and we need dozer bosses and we need all this. That's great. And that stuff gets published on those pretty much as soon as whoever's talking on the radio lets go of the mic. Realize that the process for that to get entered into ROS, which is the resource ordering status system, um, and that's done throughout the state. That process can be very lengthy and can take some time. Uh, we don't know if we're going to get a Type 3 strike team request until we get a Type 3 strike team request. As soon as we get a request for a strike team, for a crew, for an overhead, the supervisor is checking with the duty chief to find out if we can fill the request, and we're filling the request. We'll let you know as soon as we have it, as soon as we got approval to send somebody out. We'll start making the phone calls for the overhead positions, the division soups, the line medics, you name it. We'll, as soon as we get the approval, the supervisor is on it. Uh, until that time, we don't know. We have no idea if we're going to get, because it it goes, and the, the process is very lengthy, but depending upon which side it comes in on, either the state side or the, the OAS side, the, the, uh, um, the region side, depends on who it goes to. They might be able to fill it somewhere else and we'll never see the request. So we just, we don't know until it gets to us. Much as we would like to tell you, yeah, hey, we, we know you're going, so get ready. We, we don't until the request comes in. Uh, we won't sit on it for four hours and then just surprise you. We'll let you know as soon as, as, soon as we know. And, and even though you may know that something's come, until it's in Ross and until we have a request number associated with it, we can't even fill it and put anything on it. So we don't, there's, there's nothing we can do about it until we have that request and we have the approval. And since we're on the, the subject of out-of-county responses, the, this new ground travel accountability uh, piece that we have in the new, new system to track, um, 
please, if you get an out-of-county assignment, whether as a strike team, overhead, crew, call ECC, give us the information. We need to know what incident you're going to, if you're taking an OCFA vehicle or a rental, and what that vehicle ID number is, if it's an OCFA vehicle, what your travel route is, and what your anticipated arrival time is to the incident. You need to check in no, no less frequently than every five hours. You can check in at four hours or three hours, but it's not supposed to go past five hours. You need to check in with us um, every five hours. Um, that's just so we know everything's okay, you're going, you're still on the road, everything's good. We had a number of people involved in accidents out of county this year. Um, it's, not, it's not a good thing. So part of that ground travel accountability is to, if something happens and you get in an accident, we kind of know where you are, where to at least start looking. Um, so along those lines, traveling, checking in. If you need to take a break because you're fatigued, you're falling asleep and pull over a rest area, just give us a call. Let us know you stopped at a rest area so we're not wondering where you are. Um, and we can call you and, and uh, wake you up after a couple hours and say, hey, you're wondering where you are. Um, and then once you've arrived at the incident, it's a 24-hour check-in. So please check in every 24 hours or as close to it as possible. Uh, our little screen turns red in that when you've been more than 24 hours. Uh, if you're going to be somewhere where you know cell coverage is spotty, just let us know. We'll put that in the notes. Hey, you know, there's checked in, may not be able to get cell coverage for a couple of days. So we'll know, okay, no problem not to, not to get worried about it. Uh, so, and then on your return, please call us when you depart. Again, we're back to a five-hour check-in. And please, 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 please call us when you get back to county so we can check you out and take you out of the system. Uh, we've had a few people that have remained in the system for a few days even though they've gotten back here and we've tried to make phone calls, track them down. Uh, so please stay on top of that. We know it's new and now we're kind of winding down, hopefully. Uh, we'll see what the weather does for us with fire season. Uh, you know, so next year, be ready for it and just refresh yourself on that ground travel accountability piece. Uh, it's very helpful and it helps keep track of everybody uh, safety-wise. Good stuff. Good refreshers. Yeah. Uh, a couple of quick just uh, kind of housekeeping things as far as the radios go. Uh, if for some reason you inadvertently activate your emergency button, please just give us a call and let us know it was accidental. Um, a lot easier than us having to, to track you down and try to find you. Um, Especially if you're on an incident, we have to go through the IC. We just get a notification. Uh, it pops up, and sometimes we don't even know what unit it is, depending upon whether or not the radio identifier has, has been updated. Uh, but it sets off bells and whistles and control up on the top of the hill that are extremely annoying to them, uh, and they are on us instantaneously when those things go off. Um, and especially when there are repeated activations. They are really honest so uh, if it's if it's accidental just let us know real quick we'll call control let them know it's accidental and nobody worries about it we don't have to try to chase you down uh, and with that the, the whole concept of the radio uh, identifiers uh, we've brought some there's new radios going into circulation i know comm services is trying to be pretty good about getting those in uh, but if you receive a new radio just come up with us on one alpha uh, you don't need to call us ahead of time on 5 Bravo or 4 Delta or 4 Echo or anything. We're always listening to 1 Alpha. Uh, keep in mind, however, that it's a secondary responsibility for the Santa Ana Tactical Dispatcher. 
So if they're busy with a lot of incidents in Santa Ana, it may take a little bit for somebody to answer that. One of the other dispatchers will pick it up or they'll get to it as soon as they can. But you can always just come up on One Alpha and let us know you'd like to do a radio identifier update. And so we need to know what unit it's assigned to and what position it is, whether it's a mobile or it's a portable. And if it's portable one, two, three, or four, or five, uh, whatever it happens to be. And then we'll might have to go through several times and have you key it up. Uh, if it's not in the system up on the hill, we can't do anything with it. And we may, may tell you to contact comm services and have it put into the system. Uh, otherwise, we can do the update. If it's coming from another unit or it's a battalion loaner and you're placing it in service uh, as a, a second portable or third portable or whatever as a loaner with your unit, we have to take it out of its old unit identifier, which is probably the battalion rig that it's associated with, and then put it into your unit for it to work properly and identify properly. So that can take a couple of um, extra steps in the system and going through and updating that. So we might have to have you key the mic a couple of times. Please just stay on one alpha with us with the radio until we tell you you're all set or you're good to go or, or whatever and let you know that, okay, we're good, we're set, everything's because we, it may take a little bit to sometimes we scratch our head and go, well, why is it not showing up as this? And then you got to research and find out where else it's assigned. Thanks, Craig. Sure. Outstanding. Uh, thanks again for uh, sharing those experiences with us, Greg. Uh, such a, a lot of good information in there and a different perspective, right? Uh, and thank you, Pete Conde, for conducting the interview. Uh, I'm sure it was nice to catch up with the old cap. Uh, and uh, make sure to look for that next episode where we'll feature our board chair, Beth Swift, who will be uh, moving on to just being part of the board after she served as both vice chair and then this last year as well as, as the chair uh, person. So she should be able to update us on the fire chief recruitment and other items uh, that I think you'll find interesting. So um, be on the lookout for that. Until then, let's continue to watch out for each other, and we'll talk to you soon.